women are expected to walk onto the set and if there's like a 1990s camcorder and pickle juice that they're just supposed to take it happily that's just not it and welcome to the 13th episode of Feminist Fiends and Quarantine Queens. I'm Quinn. I'm Pate. And I'm Nellie. And this week we're discussing the 2006 film The Devil Wears Prada, based on the novel of the same name by Lauren Weisberger. Quick content warning, this film does promote unhealthy body image and talks about disordered eating, which we will be discussing in today's episode, so please feel free to click away if that content will be triggering for you. Directed by Dave Frankel with a screenplay by Aylin Brosh McKenna, the movie stars Anne Hathaway, Emily Blunt, Meryl Streep, and my king, the light of my life, the star in the sky, Stanley Tucci. Before we get going, don't forget to subscribe to our show on Spotify and connect with us on Instagram at Feminist Fiends. This week, we're super pumped to have another iconic king, second only to Stanley Tucci, with us, Sam Young. Sam holds a BA of Business Administration and Marketing from the University of North Georgia and currently works as the Campus Activities Coordinator at the University of the South. He's also an Enneagram Type 6, an all-around superstar, and one of my favorite people. We're very excited to have him with us. Welcome, Sam. Wait, is this when I say something? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Oh my gosh, um, this is amazing. Uh, I'm so excited to be a quarantine queen. Because, <laughs> yeah! Um, <laughs> and I literally feel like a movie star. The end. As always, before we get started, we'd like to remind you to stay engaged and be politically and socially active. The presidential election is less than 100 days away. COVID-19 is disproportionately affecting minority communities and racial injustice and police brutality continue to ravage cities across the country. Black Lives Matter. Let's keep our feet on the gas. Stay tuned to the end of the episode to hear this week's action items. Now, without further ado, let's dig into The Devil Wears Prada. So Sam, when we've had guests on in the past, we've asked them kind of why uh, they've chosen the film that they did. So why The Devil Wears Prada? Um... I chose this film because, I don't know, I just thought when, back in my, like, middle school brain when I first saw this, first I was like, okay, Meryl Streep is my mom, so, like, she's a queen, she <laughs> is, like, this powerful woman, and, like, there, there were just all of these, like, powerful women in this movie, and obviously I hadn't, like, critiqued it at all when I was thinking about it, um, So I kind of wanted to go back and really think about how this was formative as a gay male, Um, because a lot of the times I would find a lot of my, not like idols or pop stars or people that I look up to in women, because a lot of the men that I was looking at um, didn't have the same qualities or characteristics that I saw in myself and that I wanted to project into the world. So yeah, but now that we're new year new me new sam different time i really wanted to um see the like and it it, see it in a different lens and see how it may have been formative for other people but maybe see how it has changed based on like the experiences that i've had now 
That's so interesting. And I'm curious for your middle school, 2006, Sweets, Sam Young brain, who did you see as a role model? Was it Miranda? Was it Andy? Surely to goodness, it was simply not Emily. But I'm just very interested in this. Um... I think I saw Miranda as this, it, it was just because she was like this powerful woman who was an editor in chief of this magazine and was just like hitting all the stops, like walking down the street, everyone knew who she was. And if you didn't know who she was, then you were nothing. And I just wanted to like evoke that same energy, I guess. Um, because I just like as, as someone who was trying to find themselves, especially like starting in middle school, um, when I really kind of like gained consciousness of like who I was, um, like she was just like such a powerful woman that felt like she was just owning herself. And I, and like, I didn't feel like I could own myself in, in those same ways, um, until I saw this movie. So I love that. And I also love that your team Miranda, because I'm going to be honest, I, hated this movie and so many of my friends I was like texting them about it yesterday because it was a formative film for a lot of my friends and I was like I think this is the most garbage fire film I think I've ever seen in my entire life and a lot of them were really shook. Kate right now her face is like she wants to throw me off of this podcast recording right this very moment. No. So many of them so many of them loved it because they really relate to Andy. And to be completely honest, I thought Andy was a flop of a character. I loved when she got bangs. I started liking her more after that, but I was so team Miranda. And I thought that this was going to be like a manifesto and love letter to Miranda Priestly. And then in the end, she's kind of portrayed as the villain when I'm sorry, but that boyfriend, I don't even know his name. He now stars in Hallmark movies, AKA, Christmas at Graceland, and also was in The Sopranos. He was a flop in this film, and people are like, "Wow, he's great!" And that's her—that's Andy's prize—is to like get to be with him at the end. So all that to say, I'm really sweaty talking about this already because I didn't like it, but I love Miranda Priestly, and she's the light of my life. Yeah, Sam, I think this actually is a really good transition into this question that you crafted for us. Oh yeah. So um, the first question for all of us, I guess. Um, is, has there ever been a time where you've sacrificed your values or morals for something? It could be like a job, a relationship. Um, and I think that this story really touches on something very important, which is the power of choice. Um, I think especially for women um, in their careers, they have to sacrifice a lot of things. Um, and even like myself, I feel like I've had to sacrifice things when I first got into a position um, right out of college so that I could be successful and that I could break out into the space that I was trying to get into for a career. Um, so I just think this is a really interesting idea. And I think that Anne Hathaway in a lot of ways does this throughout the film um, as Andy. And whether that be with her relationship or um, just her as a journalist and that kind of, and the integrity behind that um, and how she was kind of shifting away from that throughout the film. Yeah, so this is actually a conversation I've had a lot recently. Obviously, I'm very early on in my career. Like, I've been thinking recently about how women in general are expected to be in kind of these nurturing roles and professions. And so, like, for example, like, I work um, 
largely with like nonprofits and like humanitarian development work. And that's like a very, uh, I don't know, like women, not necessarily dominated because there are definitely a lot of men in power in that field, but there are a lot of women. But like if I were to go like a very corporate route, that would be frowned upon. Like I've even heard the rhetoric before where like someone who's got, who's like had a degree similar to mine and has gotten like a more, gone a more corporate route. Someone has been like, oh, well, like I thought that they like were a liberal arts major. Like I thought they were going to like change the world, do something. And I'm like, well, they should be able to like climb to success to be able to make a real change. Cause the reality is like, I mean, we're going to talk more about this, but like we live in a capitalist society. So yes, you can like try to throw it out, which like, it would be great to do that. But the reality is like, we have to find ways to gain power to be able to like make change. And that is a very privileged viewpoint. I'd be curious to hear your all's pushback on that. I'm sure you have it, but that's kind of my thinking on it as of late. I think that's something that's really interesting throughout this film that stuck with me is this idea of sacrifice in order to achieve growth. So what's like a sacrifice that you're making that's like a moral or ethical compromise that you're not getting much out of and you're kind of quote unquote selling your soul to the devil versus you're sacrificing something like you were talking about, Nellie. Um, I'm working in the corporate world as of next month. Yeah, big liberal arts major with bangs going big, big corporate. And to me, I don't see that as, and I don't think that this is what you were saying, but I don't see that as like a sacrifice of my ethics or my morals as much as I see it as like a sacrifice of the life that I had planned for myself immediately out of college. And by choosing to go this route, I think I'm allowing my career to have like a different kind of growth than I initially perceived or thought my future would have. And I think that that was something that really frustrated me throughout this film is that, yeah, there are times when Andy is a jerk and it's clear that she is sacrificing her morals and some of her ethics, like especially with that guy with the blonde eyebrows who kept showing up in really terrible scars and like kept like smooched throughout the art exhibit. That wasn't great. But I mean, when she's at that gala and is offered the opportunity to meet with a publisher and she's meeting all of these really um, high class, really well-educated people and that's a way for her to jumpstart her career and network. I thought that that was portrayed as her sacrificing her morals when to me that was sacrificing her time for something that would end up being beneficial for her. So I didn't like the way that the film presented that as something that was mutually exclusive. Like it seemed to give this message of like, oh, if you sacrifice yourself at all, if you get bangs, if you start wearing big tall shoes and you like nice purses, then that means that you're a vapid person and you're sacrificing who you are when really it was kind of a necessary, I'm not even going to say a necessary evil. It was just necessary for Andy to be successful and it works in her favor. And also I would like to point out that at the end of the movie, she still has great fashion and bangs. So like clearly she wanted that and it's something that stuck with her. But I thought that the devil wears Prada didn't portray it that way to Sam's point, this whole idea of choice. It was like Anne Hathaway's character wasn't given much choice within the script or the writing or the narrative. So I watched part of this movie with my cousin who lived in New York with her husband and was in the fashion industry. 
Um, they just had to move back to Birmingham because of coronavirus. So that's not sexy. But um, <laughs> I was like, is this actually how it is? Like, I understand the concept of your first entry-level job. Sometimes you don't love it, but you're supposed to quote unquote, put your head down and work hard so that you can get to where you're going. But like, are you supposed to go to this place 15 minutes before it opens so you can get a steak for your boss? Like that doesn't seem like something that will actually be beneficial and you can sustain for a whole year in order to get what you want. So off the top of my head, I can't think of an instance where I've sacrificed my values and morals for something as much as Andy has, but I am thinking of, you know, in the future, um, when I do have a career and I want to be a mom, I feel like a lot of women have to, at that point, they have to make a decision. Um, and sometimes, unfortunately, their careers make that decision for them and don't allow them to truly choose like, okay, like, can I actually have the opportunity to be a mom? Like, will my husband also have paid parental leave so that we can make this decision? Um, that's, you know, I, I feel very passionately about that because, you know, I've grown up kind of with a birdie in my ear telling me like, oh, well, if you have a career, who's going to raise your kids? You can't possibly have a nanny raise your kids. They're not gonna, you know, grow up the same if their mom was home. So, you know, I feel like as a woman, especially, I don't know if it's necessarily growing up in the South but a woman who wants a career is seen as someone like Andy who's choosing between their morals and their career. Yeah, this movie honestly kind of haunted me a little bit in this moment, just because while I am simply like working a remote job from home, I do feel like I put the pressure on myself because of like societal pressure that like I need to be like attentive to like my email and my Slack notifications and like Sam is literally yelling at me because he literally knows that I will email like respond to emails on the weekends and like late at night and so we're just like pressured to be a cog in the capitalist machine and yeah. I also think Andy's like job it obviously, like, is awful, but this movie makes it look honestly fun and sexy. She's running around New York City and like... In cute like, outfits. <laughs> in cute outfits and heels, and, like, she's just, like, running around. Like, at first, you know, she hits everyone with her surfboards in the middle of the street, but then when she's actually has bangs, she is working it, and I'm like, oh, I want to run around New York and, like, have a car pick me up and go to um Dolce and Gabbana and get Calvin Klein skirts but True. I mean obviously we obviously see that there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes you're not just this isn't Carrie Bradshaw you know that's another can I just say something really quickly that drove me absolutely nuts <laughs> and I literally texted Peyton Nellie while I was watching this for the first time yesterday and was like Andy is insuffer insufferable like genuinely I could not stand her in the beginning because a in the beginning the movie has this whole dichotomy of like she's not like the other girls she eats in an onion bagel and she dresses poorly like let us sexualize these really skinny beautiful women who eat five almonds but we're never going to tell you their name or give them any lines like whatever and it sets up this dichotomy of femininity where Andy's like yeah I'm so cool and I'm so tied to my ethics and my morals 
and I'm so smart and I went to Northwestern and I'm a star, whatever, which like, I respect that. But then when she is on the phone and says, can you please spell Gabbana? I was like, this just set women back like 9 million years. Because how can, I, I understand that they're wanting to underline that she's not a part of this fashion world. But that's one of those things in movies where it's like, show me that, don't tell me that. Because that just made me lose so much respect for her and also the higher education system because sister spell it out gabbana that is so embarrassing okay that's all i again got really sweaty i don't like andy thank you that also i thought that i was like how much i'm obviously not a fashion girl i know y'all think i'm fashion squirrels but i'm not i literally my favorite t-shirt is my big grumpy cat t-shirt so thank you very much but how much do you have to live under a rock to not know what Dolce & Gabbana is? Thank Serious you. Serious question. Like, I don't own anything by them, but I know them. Also, the fact that, like, she went to Northwestern, she got into Stanford Law, Daddy obviously has a lot of money. It's like, you probably have something by Dolce & Gabbana in your wardrobe. Like, do not play with me. I know this girl, and you are it. <laughs> <laughs> and yet she chose to wear that disgusting blue sweater. Ooh, sorry. Cerulean. Blue sweater monologue! <laughs> queen, queen, queen and queen, queen, queen. I have a lot queen. of, like, like grievances with Miranda, and I'll talk about those in a minute. However, now that we've touched on the most important part of this entire film, um, let's talk about how iconic it was. Because... She went through basically <laughs> the like um food chain cycle. Food chain, no, like the, mm. the, the economic trickle down, like, trickle, the trickle down. down. Like the, the, the trickle <laughs> down of like this is where it started and this is where it ended with you on your body, and you have no idea how long and how powerful that blue is. And I was like, oh my god, a moment it was in herstory. And as a person who maybe I didn't like Andy because I kind of identified with her but also I didn't because she was so whiny and it was she's not as funny as you oh my god stop I'm literally like (laughs) so embarrassed Pate like why would you like tell everyone how like smart and hot I am like literally like what um just kidding but when she when Miranda called Andy out as an audience member, I was like, yes, thank God. Because again, it's clear that Andy comes from a lot of privilege. Her dad is like paying part of her rent. She got into Stanford Law. She graduated from Northwestern. She's getting paid nothing, as is stated explicitly in the movie. And yet she sees this job, which again, it's reiterated that a lot of girls would kill for And she's like, I'll just do this to the end of the year so that I can be a famous journalist. And I'm like, a lot of people work jobs like these for their entire lives. Because again, capitalist cogs in the machine, and they don't have any semblance of upward mobility. So I was like, wah, wah, cry me a river. Yes, your boss is hard, but you signed on for this and you're getting more out of it than what you're putting in. Again, I don't like Andy. I think think I've made that very clear. I think Stanley Tunchi's character, what's his name? We should probably call him by his character name. (laughs) Of course. Nigel, when Andy gets yelled at and she goes and cries to him, his kind of monologue to her, I think was a really good point. It was like harsh, 
but it was needed. Like you do realize you're working for the top fashion magazine in the country, maybe the world. Um, so yeah, she's going to be hard on you. And like you said, Quinn, how many times it's reiterated that she's only doing this so that she can further her career when for Emily and for other girls, this is the peak of their career. They just want to go to Paris. But also, I think Miranda is the OG bad bitch. Facts. Something else that's reiterated throughout this movie, and again, we put a content warning at the beginning, but I would like to give another one before we start talking about um, this because it does deal with disordered eating and body dysmorphia. So again, feel free to click away. We don't want to trigger anyone in the audience. Um, But something that was also reiterated throughout the film that I found to be incredibly problematic from a 2020 standpoint was this idea of like the ideal body type um, and how it's kind of a running joke that Anne Hathaway is a size six or is quote unquote fat. And at first when it happened, I thought, oh, well, maybe they're trying to um, satirize the fashion industry by showing us this beautiful woman who is clearly very tall and well-built and gorgeous by typical Western colonial standards by telling us that she's ugly or fat. Maybe that's supposed to be some kind of joke. But by the end, it became clear that it was not when she's toasting with Nigel and she's like, to me, being the size four. And it's like this moment of congratulations and everyone's so excited. And that just left me feeling really icky. And that's a big reason that I did not connect with this movie. So I'm just curious, what did you guys think of this? How does it compare and contrast to the fashion industry that we see? And what do you think about it from a 2020 context? Quinn, that exact moment, and I also cringed when they said that. So I'm not sure if it's because of how far we've come 14 years later since the film was created, but part of me is wondering, like, maybe that was, that itself was a critique of the fashion industry. Because, yeah, like, the whole time they're like, oh, yeah, the the smart fat girl. And I'm like, she's literally tiny. And so, yeah, I also had those thoughts like, oh, this has to like be a joke to show how brutal and savage it is in this industry. And so I don't know. Part of me, I I would hope it's intentional in showing how ridiculous it is and how awful it is. But I don't know. You seem to think that it was serious. I don't think that, to your point, Pate, I don't think that it was necessarily serious. I think it probably was intended as a joke, but I think that there's a lot of harm in not explicitly stating that or negating that or explaining that at the end um, because it's kind of just left there dangling for the audience. So I agree if you're watching it with like a critical eye, I definitely think that you could probably see that perhaps it's a parody or an exposition of the fashion industry. But just as a viewer and as a young woman myself, I would really worry about watching this. Like if I had daughters, like young kids who maybe wouldn't pick up on that, I would really worry about showing them this film for that reason alone, because I don't think that it does a good job of negating its own prejudices and fat phobia. Yeah, I agree. And I, I guess to your point about 2020, I, 
I honestly don't think we've come that far. I mean, maybe I'd be curious to kind of see the reaction. I, like you said, I wouldn't want to show it to a young girl because I don't want to like, I don't know, subject her to that kind of, I don't know, rhetoric, especially if it's the sort of thing that hypothetically they're not exposed to right now but I just I don't think that that's possible with the world we live in and like I think even for me like I was like yeah this rhetoric is definitely still present I think the like fashion industry has come a long way in how in terms of like inclusivity of models and but also still has a huge area of growth it's not to say that like it is ready because I think when you see especially high fashion like which this movie is focusing on like that's not where you see inclusivity you see it kind of at like the lower tiers of fashion which I think is probably what I consume more so so for me I'm like oh it's come a long way but like I'm not looking at Dolce and Gabbana and I don't know what else Prada like I'm not looking at what they're doing yeah I just I don't I don't really think it's changed I think if we're holding it accountable it hasn't well I will say while watching this movie, there are flaws in each character. But I feel like Nigel, I was always so disappointed when I would hear it from him because he was the one I was rooting for the whole time. And I think that was really his only flaw is how often he would make those comments. Um, but it's like that Tyra Banks meme at Stanley Tucci where it's like, we were rooting for you. We were all rooting for you. That's all of us when he opens his mouth in the lunch line and is like, two is the new, zero is the new two. And I'm like, sir, I was bigger than a size two when I came out of the womb and I think I look great and I'm doing just fine. Like, let's not perpetuate these awful stereotypes. Yeah, I, I really noticed how much, like, Nigel, like, talked about other people's bodies, and, I mean, obviously, it's very apparent with Emily. She's constantly worried about, like, having her next stomach flu, so she can be her goal weight, um, but <laughs> that was, like, super problematic, and I was like, mm, maybe, maybe we don't say that, um, but going back to Nigel, it just felt like everything coming out of his mouth was either, like, a critique of Andy or something about somebody's body or their goal weight or like he he's like you bet your size six ass sliding her again about her weight and it it kind of projects this idea in like the 2000s era films of like white gay men that they're like obsessed with fashion they're these sassy people that are body obsessed and um I don't know. I, I know that there's one other, <laughs> I know there's one other um, gay white character that's in their like little group of like Lily, Nate, Andy, and other. <laughs> in, in the script, it's like gay man too. <laughs> Doug. <laughs> Doug. Ew, his name's Doug. Sorry, yeah. my senator's name is Doug and I love him, but what a name. But truthfully, we do not know his name. Like, Sam and I were talking, we were FaceTiming yesterday, and I was like, what's that man's name? Oh, it's a problem. We don't know his name because he's literally, like, the other gay guy. Like, that's a problem. We literally don't know his name, which means he, there's no character development, so. But his name is Doug. His name is Doug. But anyway, I, I think with a lot of 2000s um, films like this, they portray white gay men also, white cis gay men specifically, um, as like the token for white women. And they're the ones that like, they come to when they have problems and they need advice and they need to dump all their like emotions onto and um, can make them feel better about all of their problems and just whisk them away. Um, It's not as like prevalent in this, honestly, like 
they're that that kind of even plays a backseat like especially with Nigel if you think about like him throughout the movie he's more of like this paternal character for Andy rather than a fully realized human <laughs> um like all like every every part of the dialogue except for the very end when Miranda does the deed to him um that is like the only time where we see him like or, or things are pointed back at him rather than projected out like trying to help other people or making fun cute comments about women's weight <laughs> so it i think it like strips the humanity from him and makes him like a less developed character i would be kind of interested to talk about something else that i had noticed a lot in the film when, when it comes to that idea of like not being well developed <laughs> um i feel like a lot of the time in this film or it just, i mean backtrack. <laughs> um, <laughs> I feel like women in this film and just in a lot of the executive workforce are asked to play multiple roles at once and they're kind of asked more specifically to, pay, to play this kind of performance of the image of femininity rather than humanity and for what it really is. Um, so I'm kind of curious to see what you guys thought about that and how you saw that portrayed in the film. I think that's so interesting and I would agree. I was also really shocked to see the ways in which femininity or quote unquote classical femininity were kind of demonized throughout the film because although Andy's working for Runway and we see that these are really successful people, we're also constantly reminded throughout the film very explicitly that these are vapid and somehow bad people. I mean, even though Miranda kind of gets her moment in the sun when she gives that monologue, the Cerulean monologue that we were talking about earlier to Andy, it really does feel like women and men as well are punished and policed for actually enjoying and critiquing and being a part of the fashion world. Like I think of Doug specifically when he's talking to the friends and is like, oh my gosh, this is a great fashion designer. Are you going to get to meet this person? This is so cool. And Lily is like, oh my gosh, now you're scaring me. This is crazy. And even Andy, who works at Runway, polices him and is like, that's so crazy that you know that. That's so, like, they shame him almost for being interested and genuinely excited about fashion. And that was another issue that I had with the film was that at the end, this vapidness remains vapid. Like we don't see a character in the fashion world who is fully developed that we're like kind of supposed to root for. It's either skinny models like Emily who are just backstabbing and not very smart. Or you have Stanley Tucci who's the supportive gay man up until the very end when he's like, yeah, I'm going to stay with Miranda, although it's against his best interest. Or we see Miranda who's portrayed as like this backstabber and I just thought that that was really frustrating because Andy gets to walk away as the quote unquote heroine and protagonist because she leaves that world behind completely and is like, let me return to my true self. And it's like she took nothing away or learned anything from that industry other than that it's bad. Like that was kind of the taste that I left with in my mouth. And again, it felt like a patriarchal representation and I can't say much I mean I don't know much about fashion like right now I'm literally wearing a t-shirt that I've had since seventh grade but it seemed like a very patriarchal 
fantasy imagination version of what the fashion world would be or honestly what any industry would be if it were led by women. I actually kind of wanted to touch on like the the kind of stereotypical idea of like Miranda like what if she was a man like mm-hmm. would you think of her as as a lot of these uh, as like cold and whatnot like my personal thesis is that regardless she um falls under this kind of like capitalist ideal of a president slash executive where she's manipulating um situations to ensure her own security in her job we see that with the nigel thing we see that with her using andy and emily at any point and like constantly like using her contacts to like slide her way and continue to become like be the editor-in-chief and be on top and honestly it's it's i think it's kind of a statement of saying like Miranda or like as an executive you need to commodify your relationships to allow for you to get ahead in any way possible if that means pitting people against each other or um exploiting them for their like who they are or um, some sort of notoriety um I think it's just so frustrating but at the same time like would I be as frustrated by that if Miranda was a man. Well, it's funny. Okay, so Sam, you were great about collecting a lot of different resources, and a couple of them were prezies, which were hilarious, um, but also like helpful because I like visuals. Um, and there was one that had like kind of a compelling argument, but I think kind of relates to what you're just talking about and something that I would definitely push back on. But it said, Okay, so Tidra, Patricia, Iza, and Maria. Shout out, Queens. I hope I'm pronouncing your names correctly. Queens. Queens, like, shout out to your pre- Prezi. Um, wherever you are. <laughs> wherever you are. Thanks for putting it on the internet. Like, thanks for putting it on the internet. But basically, in their final slide, they say, quote, in conclusion, although society often sees women as weak and vulnerable, they prove that they can be as capable or even more powerful than the stereotypical male, end quote. And I was like... <laughs> that would be great (laughs) but and like yes like my view is that yes Miranda does this but also like she loses like basically every like any kind of important relationship in her life for that and also like we see that Andy can only do it if she throws away her relationships as well and this is something that like I think is really important in what you're saying Sam is that like if a man is would were in this role they would be casted as like strong and rational and protective and decisive and like like achieving and job oriented and that would be an amazing thing but like women are expected to put their family first um prioritize like others over themselves and uh not be like cutthroat and and uh job oriented and so it's hard because truthfully and like this is spoilers I guess if you haven't watched The Devil Wears Prada which this was my first time watching it also I know crazy uh but basically I was like okay this is great like Miranda continues to climb like even though people are genuinely afraid of her she also like is beloved in like a kind of backwards way by the like people she like they idol like she's idolized and I was kind of like okay well you might want to achieve that but I don't know, like, we kind of see that, like, in the end, Andy is successful for, like, choosing 
a different route. And I'm like, I just don't think that's realistic. Like the part where she like throws her phone into a fountain and like just leaves the, like leaves with the event in Paris. I'm like, first of all, that would just simply never happen. Like I, like maybe we know a couple people that would be as bold to do that, but like, no, that wouldn't happen. I mean, I also just think it's rare to leave your job and take a risk just like for like financial security. Yeah, I agree with you, Sam. I think that men are able to be the way that Miranda acts, but because I just don't think it's possible for women to achieve the same success as men in the society we live in currently. Yeah. And first I want to say that the the scene with Andy throwing her, her phone behind her back, like, mm, I don't care anymore. I'm my own woman. As a six, I was very attacked. Um, I, if I, yes. I would have, like, if I'd been like, hmm, I'm a, I'm fully realized or whatever, immediately afterwards, like, when, when the scene ended, I would have sprinted back and gotten the phone and be like, please work, please work, oh my god, I need this job so bad, I need to be stable, I need to feel like I have money. <laughs> I was like, that could never happen in real life for me. <laughs> Wait, Sam, this is, this was another six moment that I was like, what the heck, when she walked in and she was like, I need you to get skirts. That was a terrible Meryl Streep impression. Meryl Streep, I know that you're a huge fan of the podcast and you listen every week. I'm sorry that that was such a bad impression. Like I kind of thought that was good. Don't give yourself the hate. I thought that was good. Yeah. But when she was like, I need these skirts. And she's like, what kind? And she's like, don't bore me with your questions. My type six Enneagram ass was like, I would combust on the scene. I am so anxious that if she was like, do this for me, but I'm not going to give you the tools to be successful at it. And you're going to have to guess what I want. Like my sweat glands just opened all at once and said, whoosh. I simply could never be in the fashion industry as a type six. The part where she has to find a flight in a freaking hurricane i was like okay i'm not a type six but like that gave me like deep deep anxiety i literally was like there's no chance she's um i think that gives everyone anxiety sorry (laughs) but like if you told me i had to get my (laughs) i think we all have anxiety here Oh, I'm going to need a break after that one. That was good. (laughs) Also, wait, I have to say this because I'm reading in my notes right now, but there's a part where Andy's, like, giving gifts to her friends, and one of them is Charlie Rose's phone, and I was literally like, (laughs) I was like, we hate Charlie Rose, obviously. I literally saw that and thought that. I was like, Charlie Rose, and he's canceled. My dad literally turned to me, so fun fact, my dad and I, shout out to my dad because I know he's listening, love you. My dad and I watch the movie together every Monday night for the podcast while my mom does yoga. Um, (laughs) My, literally this Charlie Rose part, my dad turns to me and was like, Charlie Rose, because he knows full well that I wrote my thesis on how he's a big dum-dum. He's a dum-dum. I'm going to start using that when talking about any man in, in general. Except for Sam Young. Sam Except Young will for only Sam be, Young. Will only be referred smart, to smart. as King. Smart, smart. Queen, stop. Stop. <laughs> I, can't, I can't deal with this. <laughs> I do kind of want to touch back on Nellie's point for a second about how um, a woman would not be able to succeed as well as a man in this kind of position. And if we remember, iconically, historically, Nicki Minaj had a monologue in her tour diary in 2010 about being bossed up and about the difference between a man being 
bossed up and a woman being seen, seen as a bitch. The big thing that, that jumped out for me was when she said, no negative connotations behind being bossed up, but lots of negative connotation behind being a bitch. So she, and she specifically talks about how little Wayne, if he goes onto a, a production set and it's not to the nines, then she's like, or then, then he's like, I gotta go, I'm leaving. But women are expected to walk onto the set and if there's like a 1990s camcorder and pickle juice, that they're just supposed to take it happily. But that's <laughs> just not it. Okay, that's well, why thanks. like the term diva exists. Like diva is literally a term used for like women and gay men and like not cis straight men at all. So I'm like, this literally is a term used to enforce this patriarchy. And you know what? And it's my laundry detergent. And it's laundry detergent. And Beyonce once famously said, a diva is a female version of a hustler. So true. But anyway, so like I think that Nicki Minaj makes a great point. <laughs> I can't believe I'm actually saying something like this in a sentence. <laughs> like we love scholarly conversations about Nicki Minaj. Like um, cite your sources. <laughs> yes, this was Chicago style. Thank you. Um, but yeah, I'm women are, are expected to be everything at once. Like. Women are expected to be, like, in, in all of these roles. They're supposed to be powerful, but maternal. They're supposed to be strict, but also advocate. They're supposed to be soft, but also, like, hard in the workroom. Like, it's, it's just so annoying because it's so, it's so hypocritical and it's so contradictory. Um, it's, yeah, it's just frustrating. And I think to sum it all up, Nicki Minaj did the best when she said, I am a human being. Like, come on. <laughs> see, we, we need to see humanity rather than perform performance. Performance. Humanity over performance. It's also like that share tweet that I'm not kidding. I'm getting framed, like, as we speak. Like, I actually am, like, getting it professionally framed. But it's a tweet from Cher that says, I am only one woman. We're only one woman, girls guys, gals, everyone out there, we simply cannot do it all. And this movie kind of shows us that, but it does it in a problematic way by, again, demonizing Miranda, even though I'm hashtag team Miranda. But everyone remember, we're all human beings and we're only one woman. So like, that's, that's that. May I say something that might be a hot take? Okay, well, frat boys idolize Jordan Belford and the movie Wolf of Wall Street, which he basically just, like, spends a bunch of money on drugs, and people are like, oh, yeah, it's, like, the best film I've ever seen in my life. So, like, you know what, Quinn? I don't think it's a bad thing that you like Miranda because, you know what? She is cold, but she's successful. She was like, you know what? I want my job, so I'm going to stab my friend in the back, which was bad. But she didn't, like, you know, do everything that Jordan Belfer did. He went to jail, right? I don't know. I've never seen the movie. I don't know that man. Who is he? <laughs> I'm sorry to this man. <laughs> oh, my God. He's probably going to, like, listen to this. I know he is. Jordan Belfer. Give us your money. <laughs> money, um, please. He actually lives in Australia now, and he's, like, a, a leadership consultant or something, which, once again. And a motivational speaker. It's just problematic. It's like, okay, so a man can literally 
like <laughs> scam the entire United States, but still gets to like move to a first class or a first world country and be successful and have a house that they like. Ew. Just like he can assault a bunch of women and not pay his taxes and break a bunch of laws and be our president. Ooh, register to vote. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was like, wow, wow Jordan Bedford did all that. <laughs> the volume in this bus <laughs> is astronomical. I think that's what the kids say now. I don't even have TikTok. <laughs> okay, so I have one final question for y'all. And this is kind of a tough one. After having this conversation, I think that my mind has changed a little bit. Everyone take note of this moment. I've actually maybe changed my mind. This never happens. Um, But wow, historical moment. But do you think that at the end of the day, all is said and done for you personally? Is this movie empowering or harmful or a little bit of both? Would you consider it to be a feminist film? Quinn, I honestly want to hear your thoughts after your framing of that question. I think that at first I was like, no, this movie just sucks and it's harmful and it's terrible. And I think that it's awful. I mean, I think the acting performances are really good. I should say that. But to me, like the entire plot line was just messy pants McGee and I hated everything about it, to put it quite simply. But after this conversation, I think that this is something we've touched on in previous podcasts where just because it's something that's really harmful to me doesn't mean that it's a film that wouldn't be empowering to another one of my friends, if that makes sense. Because I do, as I said at the beginning of this episode, have a lot of friends, especially female friends, who consider this to be a super formative film and shaped the beginnings of their feminism, despite it being a problematic movie. so I think that it I think that it can be both. I think that technically since it is considered to be quote unquote art, I think that it's kind of what you get out of it that matters and clearly it touched a lot of people because its box office was close to a billion dollars when it came out in 2006. And I think that it highlights that there is this need for more movies that center around professional women and women within executive positions, although I would like to see more diversity moving forward um, in terms of the people who are writing these films, behind the cameras of these films, and also starring in these films. In terms of it being a feminist film, I personally don't think that it is. I think that there are too many issues and I see too many faults in it. That, again, if I had daughters or, I mean, even my sons, I wouldn't feel comfortable having them watch this movie because, again, I consider it to be problematic and harmful. But I'm curious to see what y'all think. I hate it a little less after this conversation is my final take. I'm glad that I didn't watch it when I was younger. I think it would have literally, like, had, I mean, I wouldn't say it had... (laughs) a positive impact on my body image watching it now but it definitely would have had like a really really like detrimental like impact I believe on if I had watched it uh at a younger age I think that so I'm thinking more about like that Prezi argument and I think that people could really easily make that argument that like this is a feminist film and so like if you were like in a class and asked to like create a thesis you could find a way to do it but it's not I don't think it's legit I think that there are like I I think a feminist version of the devil wears Prada would 
probably not be titled the Devil Wears Prada because it wouldn't be framing a woman with power and success and being at the top in her industry as um as being like a devil because I think women like what we've said earlier women are expected to be like this nurturing um and warm character and I personally don't like while Miranda behaves poorly like at times I also think that like she's the boss so like I don't think it's an absurd way for a boss to be behaving. I mean, I do think to like have to get your, the stake and stuff like that is a little ridiculous, but like, I don't think it's necessarily out of the realm of, like we said, (laughs) the male equivalent. Um, But I just think that if there had been a version where Miranda had potentially gone through the divorce that she did, but was just like, yeah, like I'm going to like do these other things that I love and be successful and like maybe like get in other people's way while doing it. Um, I just think, like, if the movie had been framed differently, truly, I do think it would be feminist. Because I think that the movie instead just continues to villainize women who climb the ladder and, uh, and attempt to tackle the patriarchal institution that is capitalism. So I think that if all the comments about women and their physical appearances are taken out I think you could strongly argue that it is a feminist film because it's showing women in the workforce um and it's not you know what you expect maybe but it's still like it doesn't matter if you like or dislike Miranda it's still an example of women in the workforce but because of the like many 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 comments about being fat, being skinny, I, I cannot, I cannot argue that it's a feminist flick. Um, is it empowering? No, I don't think it's an empowering film. Is it intersectional? No, I don't think it's intersectional. We haven't even, you know, touched on the fact that it's all white women and a few white men besides like the, you know, the, the token black best friend of Andy's. Um, so I think when you like actually like put it and like look at it from that perspective, um, I think it would be really hard to argue that it's feminist. Yeah, I mean, I, I have to agree with Tate, I think, on this. I don't think, from, from an intersectional lens, I don't think that this film is, is like, a good representation of feminism. Um, I think in the mid-2000s, it was a great representation of white women feminism. <laughs> um, seeing these, like, upper-class women try to, like, break out into an executive um career track or something like that um as well as but but even then like it's it's like they're constantly shaming women's bodies and what they look like unless they're like a zero or two and if you're six you're disgusting apparently which i'm like what um (laughs) but even more so i from an intersectional lens i think that this film is inherently capitalist and like promotes capitalism almost because there is this idea that um, from from the Prezi, one of the Prezi's, it was called a Double Wars Prada from a Marxist lens. Um, it, it kind of shows um, Miranda as like the bourgeoisie or, and as like Emily and Andy as like the working class and like Nigel. So it's just them constantly getting like gaslit, like, oh, we're going to make it to the top. But then Miranda's constantly like taking out the rungs from the, from the ladder so that they cannot move forward, that they're constantly being pitted against each other and manipulated all to the gain and the guise of 
like their own like happiness, but in reality it's Miranda's happiness. <laughs> um, so, and I think that's, it, it's similar too with like the, the idea of hustle culture in this film, that they're constantly working, they're constantly doing anything other than having personal relationships with people. And I think that a tenant of feminism is like community building and like, I don't know, like empathy for other people. And I just felt like at times that didn't feel like it was the case that like your personal life took a back seat to a lot of things and I think if we are going to appreciate people as fully realized people in general um and especially fully realized women that we need to allow like vulnerability and allow for um people to live their lives outside of work I don't know overall in 2020 standards or even just like feminist circles I wouldn't say that this was like inherently a feminist film um but I do kind of agree with Quinn in that um, I think that you can still find like representation in, like as just a woman in power, and which I think is so important in this film. Um, but yeah, obviously I have other critiques. <laughs> I am team Miranda though. I do respect the hustle. I like if I was ever a CEO, you know, I always think like, oh, that'd be so cool if people were like running away because they were scared of me and threw away their fruit salad because they know I hated fruit salad or something. But reality is I'd be walking down and be like, oh my God, hey, what's up? Uh, how's your weekend? What are you doing? Um, have you seen this new like YouTube video? Like, you know, I would just like talk to everyone, which I think is one of my strengths. And I think, you know, a movie in 2020, like would hopefully show uh like a woman in power or, you know, anyone in power showing that you don't have to be an asshole to be the CEO. T. Um, on that note, I think we're good to start wrapping up. And as is the case with some of our previous episodes, we would like to leave you all with a few action items. Again, this is by no means like a start and end here kind of list, but it is, um, we are gonna provide you with some resources that are good starting points um, and ways to get involved and engage with some of these issues. So this week, I'm promoting the National Eating Disorders Association, also known as NIDA. NIDA offers great resources, including a 24-7 hotline, which you can call or text anytime at 800-931-2237. It also provides forms with safe spaces, educational literature and videos, daily virtual check-ins, and much, much more. If you or someone you know struggles with disordered eating or you'd like to get involved with the organization or donate, you can find NIDA online at nationaleatingdisorders.org. My action item is Women of Color Worldwide. They are an inclusive community empowering entrepreneurs and thought leaders at the intersection of creative careers and tech by providing a safe space to share ideas and leverage resources. They started as a way to support women in the fashion industry and now provide resources and networks to help support those women of color in the field. Check out their website at wocworldwide.com to learn more and to learn how to help get involved. This week, I'm plugging Melanin and Sustainable Style, also known as Melanin Ass, which is a platform that celebrates the success of communities of color in sustainable fashion and beauty spaces. They offer a really amazing mission, which I will share. Quote, we are giving the ethical industry and 
authentic and culturally relevant voice. We care about sustainable development, social innovation, and holistic living. We elevate discussions of pioneers who stylishly empower communities and cultivate change. In sharing a global perspective of new industry standards, it's imperative that we pay homage to the beauty and style of melanin around the globe. In a world of layered toxicity, we are proud to be a safe space promoting non-toxic style and diversity at the same damn time. That's in all caps, end quote. Um, Y'all, I'm genuinely so excited to share this resource and excited to delve into it more myself. Check them out at melaninass.com. That's melaninass.com to support communities of color and combat the toxic impact that the fashion industry has on our planet, which is highlighted in this film. And I'm going to give a shout out this week to the Marsha P. Johnson Institute. Marsha P. Johnson was an activist, self-identified drag queen, performer, and survivor. She was a prominent figure in the Stonewall Uprising of 1969. Marsha went by Black Marsha before settling on Marsha P. Johnson. The P stood for pay it no mind, which is what Marsha would say in response to questions about her gender. The Marsha P. Johnson Institute, or MPJI, protects and defends the human rights of Black transgender people. They do this by organizing, advocating, creating an intentional community to heal, developing transformative leadership, and promoting Black trans collective power. They're an awesome organization, and you can check them out at MarshaP.org. Okay, um, Sam, thank you so much for being on this week's episode. Um, To close out, we would love to have you share a quote from the movie. If you have one. (laughs) Um, I actually do. (laughs) My favorite quote, if we all remember, after Andy does the deed with Christian, um, she's walking out and he's like, baby, wait. And she says, I'm not your baby. Snaps for that because he was gross. Trash. Absolute trash. What even happened to him? We can't talk about it anymore. The podcast is simply over, but (laughs) Christian, who is that? (laughs) Thanks, Sam. This has been Feminist Fiends and Quarantine Queens. See you next week. Bye.